Hey folks, Andy Patton here, joined today by College Hoops analyst and Gonzaga alumni Connor Hope of Heat Check College Basketball. Connor and I are going to discuss Gonzaga's two new additions, Efton Reed and Dusty Stromer, as well as some of GU's current transfer targets, the return or the potential return of Julian Strother and Drew Timmy, and the latest bracket buster proposal. All right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag Athletics. I am thrilled to be joined again today by Connor Hope. Connor was a frequent guest of the Score Zag Score podcast before I transitioned over to Locked On Zags. It's been a long time coming, but I finally got him back on the show, excited to get a chance to talk to him about all of the exciting stuff going on with the Zags. Connor, thank you for taking time out of your day to come on the show. So it's always a pleasure to to hop on and talk Zags basketball with you, Andy. I I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. I think we've we've tried two or three times and always ended up having to cancel at the last minute. So it's nice that nice that we finally got a chance. And um, like I said, there's a lot to actually talk about with this team right now. It was a, a really slow start to the off season. I won't lie, I was getting a little nervous. I was like, am I going to run out of things to talk about? But fortunately, the Zags finally struck. They added Efton Reed via the transfer portal out of LSU. The Zags were connected to a bunch of front court guys. We were talking Johnny Broom from Moorhead State. We were talking Dawes Amac from Utah Valley. There was a handful of other names. Uh, Kenneth Lofton was a name I just saw. He's still out there. Uh, but what do we think about Efton Reed? He was not necessarily the highest profile name on the portal, but definitely a guy who I think uh, you could see where the fit might be with Gonzaga. I'm curious your thoughts about his fit at GU. Yeah, I mean, he was the the big that I was most excited about the transfer mm-hmm. portal, I think. Um, separating Drew Timmy from the situation. Sure. Right? If Drew Timmy doesn't come back, of mm-hmm. course you want a guy who's proven in the way that Janai Broom or Fada, mm-hmm. Fardaz Amak or, mm-hmm. or any of those, or even KJ Williams, if he decides to, to return right. to school and transfer, um, although he's probably going SEC at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, Efton Reed despite the fact that he didn't shoot terribly well from deep uh, for mm-hmm. LSU has the ability to stretch, provide vertical spacing, mm-hmm. stretch the floor with, with his, his uh, ability to screen in mm-hmm. a way that drew Timmy doesn't. Um, and in a way that can allow him to be on the court. If drew Timmy were to return, mm-hmm. if drew Timmy doesn't come back. He's still a former top 30 recruit, five-star guy who when he was on the floor for LSU proved that he could be a good skilled big on the offensive mm-hmm. end has the body to put himself in a position to be a bit like a Shemek Karnowski, not necessarily going to block a lot of shots in the way that Gonzaga fans might have uh, become accustomed to with sure. Chet Holmgren and Brandon Clark, but alter shots get in, in a good space defensively. Um, LSU's defense uh was good, but it was a switch everything defense, which put him in a little bit of an uncomfortable position when he had to guard some of those wings on the perimeter. Gonzaga is not going to force him into that. Um, they'll probably play him in a little bit closer to a Chet Holmgren role, uh, not necessarily requiring him 
to to make a lot of those mistakes that the perimeter mm-hmm. guards last year made on the defensive end go away. Uh, I think the guard de- defense, the perimeter defense for Gonzaga this year is going to be fantastic. And so he just has to be in the right position. It's one of those, it could be a home run. Mm-hmm. He could be there two years, live up to that five-star billing. Um, but even if he doesn't, he's going to be a solid big that can play on the floor with pretty much anybody in that Gonzaga front court. I, I love that you mentioned the the spacing situation because I think that was a lot of people's initial concern uh, for people who, who didn't watch a lot of LSU basketball, who were just looking at the box score, who saw a guy who who did most of his scoring. A, he didn't do a lot of scoring last year, although that was more of a product of LSU as a whole, not being a particularly good offensive team, but uh, he didn't score a ton and he didn't do a lot of scoring away from the rim. And I think a lot of people's kind of initial reaction was, okay, great. This top 25 prospect, uh, you know, we got somebody that's fantastic, but is he going to be able to play alongside Drew Timmy? And obviously we do not know the the future for Drew Timmy. That's, you know, a part of kind of a part of this whole thing that is a mystery that makes it a little bit more challenging to figure out what Reed's role is going to be. But you're saying, hey, he may not have shot it great from deep, but if he's asked to play a role potentially farther away from the rim offensively because of what, you know, the the, the dynamicness that is Drew Timmy down low, you're saying, hey, I, I don't think that's going to be an issue. He's more than capable of playing away from the rim. Yeah, I think he's just, he's, to me, he's that guy who could be the perfect kind of pick and roll, mm-hmm. roll man, big body can set those picks as a big target uh, around the rim mm-hmm. um, and, and can finish. And, and he's, if Drew Timmy were to leave, he fits that prototypical mm-hmm. skilled big man for Gonzaga. He's not going to, you know, be a powerhouse mm-hmm. dunking over people playing above the rim. Right. But if you look at the past bigs for Gonzaga, I mean, Drew Timmy, Philip Petrushev, mm-hmm. Shemek Karnowski, they really don't need an above the rim center to yeah. be successful. I, Chet Holmgren spoiled Gonzaga in that mm-hmm. sense where he could shoot the three and mm-hmm. play above the rim if needed. They don't need that to be successful. They've been successful for the past decade without yeah. having a long string of those types of bigs. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think give him time. Gonzaga is one of the two or three best, you know, you could argue the best development programs mm-hmm. for bigs. Yeah. And when you come in with the skill set that Efton Reed came into college with, I, I, I just... I trust Mark Few and company mm-hmm. to really develop him into the big that is needed in this Gonzaga rotation. So we kind of mentioned taking Drew Timmy out of the equation. We're going to bring Drew Timmy back into the conversation at this point. I'm curious your thoughts on if this move means anything regarding Drew Timmy's future. To me, at least, I think some of the other bigs, you mentioned Broom, you mentioned AMAC. If they had come to Gonzaga, I felt it might have signaled less likelihood that Drew Timmy was returning. Uh, This move is, like you said, it could kind of go either way. Reed could step into a pretty big role if Timmy were to leave. Reed could also be a more complimentary piece if Timmy were to return. Do you, even regardless of Reed, do you have a sense what you think Drew Timmy's going to do? I'm feeling pretty 50-50 personally, but I'm curious your thoughts on kind of where he's at. Yeah, I think it's probably Um, Mm 50-50. I've heard good good things about Drew Timmy going through the draft process, so it might be dropping, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, look, if if he comes back, uh, Efton Reed fits into that rotation. Whether he's starting at the five or coming Mm -hmm. right off the bench, he Mm -hmm. fits into that rotation. Um, I agree with you. If if Broom or AMAC or any of the other bigs had come, 
-hmm. they were proven entities that were looking to step into a huge role at a Mm -hmm. power conference team or a a national championship contending team and play that big role. Reed can be that third, fourth, fifth option scorer Mm -hmm. who plays within the system, develops himself into a draft prospect because that's Mm -hmm. really what he needs right now. And I think that's what he's willing to do. You, You saw it a little bit with this time around his recruiting out of the transfer portal was a little bit more understated than his recruitment out of high school. Mm -hmm. So I think he's just, he was looking for the right fit. I don't know if that indicates anything particularly about Drew Timmy, but I think Mm -hmm. it does play into the staff's desire to have someone that can be that starting center. If Drew Timmy were to leave Mm -hmm. or could play with him as that, you know, he's going to play the the four on offense and the five on defense. If Drew Timmy were to return. Yeah, you know, we're talking about a guy who started all 34 games last year for LSU, but only played about 20 minutes per game. I feel like whether he's starting or coming off the bench for Gonzaga, a role somewhat similar to that makes a lot of sense for for his development and for what Gonzaga needs, or at least is unsure what they need at this point because of Drew Timmy's uncertainty going forward. Uh, Connor, I want to move on. I want to talk about Dusty Stromer before we get into the second segment. Uh, Gonzaga's other addition from last week, uh, they kind of, like we'd said, quiet offseason, all of a sudden, bam, within an hour of each other, the Zags land Efton Reed from LSU. They land Dusty Stromer, high school kid, class of 2023, top 40 in his class. Jeff Goodman compared him to Tyler Hero. I think that's a pretty... Pretty intense, maybe a bit ambitious uh, of a comparison considering Hero just scored 21 points per game in the NBA this past season. Uh, But I'm curious uh, with your research on Stromer, kind of taking a look at him and his potential fit at Gonzaga. I mean, he's that, he strikes me as that stereotypical Gonzaga wing, long body guard Mm -hmm. who can shoot the ball relatively well, is, Mm -hmm. is more athletic than people necessarily will think when he's on the floor mm-hmm. um, and and can fit into that two or three, or even that small ball four spot for yeah. Gonzaga. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the quietness of the silence that came out in the first couple of months or the first month and a half yeah. um, after, after the season ended. And that's been Mark Fuse MO for mm-hmm. a decent portion of the last decade. I mean, you look at transfers and, and even, freshman recruits uh committing they've all generally committed either within that first month the the freshman recruits after the tournament ends or you know admon gilder came in i believe may ryan woolridge came in june yeah uh uh, gino crandall aaron like they all committed later on in in that in that um in the off season and and it really speaks to mark few uh brian michelson roger powell looking for very targeted recruits that fit the system can play within the system and give them what they need instead Mm -hmm. of some of these other teams that are kind of casting a wide net and bringing in, you know, a lot of big time recruits. Gonzaga is very surgical almost in how they recruit Mm -hmm. players. And that's why you see, we haven't really had a Zag fans, a transfer come in uh, in the last five or so years Mm-hmm. and not play well, not play mm-hmm. a rotational role. Yep. Freshman, you know, Dusty Stromer might not have that immediate impact, but he has the skill set to become the next Corey Kispert mm-hmm. or Kevin Pangos, although yep. he's not a point guard, but like that mm-hmm. type of player yep. who can make an impact as a freshman, but really catches on, you know, as a sophomore, junior, and so on. Yeah, I, th- I think you, you absolutely nailed it with Gonzaga's 
I mean, they're not batting a thousand on transfers overall, but for the last half decade, they're, they're pretty close to batting a thousand. <laughs> like they have done a tremendous job of identifying players and it seems like they know what role they're going to fill the day that they sign them. And those kids come in and fill that role perfectly. You look at Ros Bolton, obviously you mentioned Woolridge and Gilder and, and Crandall and, and Aaron Cook, all those guys, I mean, really filled roles super admirably. And that's kind of what I want to talk about in the second segment. It's a perfect segue. Uh, we're going to talk about if the Zags may not be done. Afton Reed's a great addition. Obviously, Stromer's not going to be around next season, but the Zags may not be done building for next year's roster. There's a couple transfers that they have been connected to. We're going to talk about them in the second segment. All right, Connor. Iowa State's Tyrese Hunter, Texas Tech's Kevin McCullough, those are the two big names right now in the transfer portal. Both have been reportedly connected to both Gonzaga and Kansas as their most likely destinations. McCullough is also considering the NBA. I'm curious, out of these two guys, they're not quite the same position. McCullough is a bit more of a wing. Hunter is a, is a traditional point guard. Uh, if you have a preference between these two players in terms of Mark Few's system, uh, just kind of which of these two guys you think might fit better at Gonzaga. So when I look at these two players, you know, I tend to assume that they're going to come in for one year. Mm-hmm. There's a possibility that either of them can stay for two, mm-hmm. but I'm going to assume that it's going to be one year. Tyrese Hunter, obviously big time recruit, uh, can be an NBA draft prospect like that. If he wants to, mm-hmm. uh, Kevin McCuller has been around the block in the NBA draft process right now. So there's no mm-hmm. guarantee he does come back, um, but a little bit more experience. Both of them can play the point guard position. Kevin McCuller, though, what he gives you is a little bit more unique in that he gives you more experience. Mm-hmm. He can handle the ball, but he can also play off ball and he can, and he can play alongside uh, Nolan Hickman in kind of that Mark few, very stereotypical two point guard lineup that he loves to run. Mm -hmm. Um, even last year, although Roger Bolton wasn't nearly as much of a true point guard as you had with Nigel Williams, Goss and and Josh Perkins, Mm -hmm. um, or, uh, Andrew Nemhard and Jalen Suggs, he still handled the ball quite a bit. Um, but it's the defense. I think that's the biggest differentiator. Mm -hmm. Kevin McCuller is one of the most, one of the was, was one of the best defensive perimeter players in the country last year. Um, he can handle the ball. He can score if needed to but he doesn't need to be that high scoring ball dominant player. Um, So if he were to return as Mm -hmm. someone who's looking at what Gonzaga's roster needs, I'd rather have him because I have a sense that no matter who comes over because Hickman has been in this system for one season already, he's going to be the primary point guard. Mm -hmm. What he needs is someone experienced enough, someone who can give him relief when he's on the bench, someone who can help build him into a Mm -hmm. much better prospect for as fantastic as he is he still has a ways to go and so i trust mcculler to to be able and willing to do that rather than tyrese hunter who's in the same position as nolan hickman going Mm -hmm. for that same lottery kind of projection in the nba draft that might be a little bit more of a competition between the two where i think mcculler can be in could come in be a complimentary piece and really do everything that would make him fit into a seamless Gonzaga uh, system rather than having some sort, any sort of, uh, you know, headbutting or mm-hmm. uh, mismatch in what they have on the floor versus what they need kind of thing that Hunter and Hickman would provide. 
Could you imagine the Zags have the possibility to run out lineups that would include Hunter Salas, Kevin McCullough, Anton Watson, and Efton Reed? And I don't know how opposing teams are going to score points on that lineup at all. Like that is such a ridiculously talented defensive lineup. Any point. Hickman's obviously a good defensive player as well. So if you were to toss him at the point guard, that lineup, probably not Gonzaga's best offensive lineup, certainly. Uh, But I mean, geez, they would play some really, really tremendous defense. I want to stick on McCullough a little bit more. Basically, the main question is, how realistic do you think it is that he's even coming back to college at all? Because he, I know he's an older prospect in the offense. It, like you said, it's not so standout that he's like a guaranteed draft pick, but he shows up on a lot of mock drafts. And certainly uh, guys his size with his ability to handle the basketball who play defense the way he does, they tend to have NBA careers. So I'm curious your thought on, on how likely it is that he's even going to be playing college basketball next season. It's probably a shade under 50-50. Mm-hmm. Um I do think that the reason why Kansas and Gonzaga are the top two for Mm -hmm. him is because if there's one thing that he would need to do to raise his draft stock, Mm because he's, he's past the point where this steep drop off in draft stock occurs, right? That happens after your freshman or sophomore season. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the, the difference in draft stock between a junior, a senior, or a super senior isn't as big as between a freshman and a sophomore and a sophomore and a junior. Um, but the one thing he needs to raise his draft stock is really showing that he can play in an NBA style offense, mm-hmm. can play that we're going to run the ball up and down the court yeah. the entire game. Um, and that's something that Gonzaga provides that very few other programs in the country do. Yeah. And so uh, I think, you know, if if he comes back, what I've been hearing is the lean is Gonzaga. It's just mm-hmm. whether he comes back. I think it's probably a shade under 50-50. Um, Just because like you, I've seen him on a couple of mock drafts, but Mm -hmm. uh, he might get the uh, feedback that they want to see him on a more offensively inclined uh, Mm -hmm. system, which would then kind of force his hand to come back and and prove that he can play, um, you know, a, a bit of a faster game of basketball. Absolutely. I think you see a lot of guys who who are gravitating towards Gonzaga's style of offense. We didn't mention it with Stromer, but that was something that he mentioned very specifically when talking about his recruiting process as he wanted to go somewhere where he could run and get out in transition and do all that. And it certainly makes sense for, for players who are eyeing the NBA to get an opportunity to play in a system that looks as much like that as you're going to find in the college game. Uh, similar question to what we talked about with Drew, Stim- Drew Timmy excuse me, and Efton Reed. Uh, do you think McCullough's recruitment says anything about where the staff is at with Julian Strother? I know McCullough is more of a ball handler than Strother, but I think he would probably kind of play more of a wing role for Gonzaga as a secondary ball handler. Uh, do you think that, like, I guess I'm kind of gauging your temperature on Julian Strother in general, but also if McCullough kind of moves the needle one way or another with him? No, I, I think... McCullers uh, coming to Gonzaga would be a, would be closer related to where Rajir Bolton stands mm-hmm. with coming back for his fifth sure. year um, than anything else, because yeah. Strother can, will play the three or the four, you know, mm-hmm. he'll rotate between those two positions. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously McCuller can play the one through a small ball four, but right. um, I, I think that McCuller can play that two alongside Strother or mm-hmm. start at the three if if they if Drew Timmy were to leave and, and Strother were to play that four mm-hmm. alongside Efton Reed. Um, but I think if Roger Bolton comes back, then then you have this issue of, you know, McCullough's going to have to compete for minutes with 
with Bolton. He's going to have to compete for minutes with uh, Hunter Salas yep. and and uh, Dom Harris. Mm-hmm. And so that really creates a little bit more congestion, especially when he wants to handle the ball. Hickman's going to handle the ball and mm-hmm. Bolton's going to handle the ball. Right. And so I think it says more about Roger Bolton than it does about Julian Strother, because I think Strother is in such a unique position where he's really the only player in that system mm-hmm. that plays that, that kind of role that yeah. Corey Kispert played the mm-hmm. kind of three and D play the wing, play mm-hmm. the small ball four type of role um, that those other guards don't play. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of them that are going to be competing for minutes next year. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's kind of what I wanted to get into with Tyrese Hunter as well, because, you know, McCullough does have a little bit more flexibility. Certainly Julian Strother has a handful or quite a bit of flexibility as well. Tyrese Hunter does not, from a positional standpoint, he is a point guard. He averaged five assists per game last year for Iowa State, which is incredible. But that is his role. He's a distributor, uh, not a great outside shooter. Uh, he's a phenomenal player and I don't want to put him down, but it it is a little bit harder to see his exact fit. Certainly a two point guard lineup of Hunter and Hickman would be very, very good offensively. They would be a little bit undersized, which you can get away with in the WCC, but you maybe can't get away with that uh, beyond that. I'm curious your thoughts on, on Hunter's overall fit at Gonzaga or perhaps the likelihood, because uh, he strikes me as somebody who would do really well at Kansas as well. So I'm not sure uh, what the temperature is on him in terms of those two schools. Yeah, I think the temperature on on Hunter is that he's just he's a bit more of a long shot yeah. uh, for Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. And that's not a bad thing, because, yeah. again, I think McCuller fits the uh, the offense better. Mm-hmm. Um, really, both of these recruitments are going to take a little bit longer. Uh, McCuller's in the NBA draft process, as is Roger Bolton, as is mm-hmm. Julian Strother. Um, and so you can play the long game with McCuller a little bit more because I mean, if you get two of those three to, to come out of the, the draft process and mm-hmm. be in Spokane next year, that's a win for Mark few. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, Hunter might, might commit a little bit earlier and, and might mm-hmm. not be willing to wait out that draft process of the other, uh, the other guys. So, right. you know, I think it's, I think he's going to end up stay, staying in the Midwest, probably going to Kansas. Um, mm-hmm. But you have to throw your name in, in, in the, in the game. You, you have to at least make that phone call for a guy like Hunter, um, especially when you're looking for, you know, two, I mean, if you have two high powered point guards playing alongside each other, it's really tough to beat that. And then I think Mark few knows that. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was talking about on, on an episode recently when people were asking the, like, if this player, you know, if, if Gonzaga recruiting this player means this or means this. And in some cases, yeah, you can read the tea leaves a little bit, but in some cases, Gonzaga is just trying to get the best, 12 basketball players that they can get, put them in Spokane and Mark few will figure out what to do with them after that. And sometimes I think that there's too much, like, is this why we're doing this? And it's like, eh, maybe there's something going on behind the scenes, but ultimately when really, really good players are on the transfer portal, they're going to give them a call. <laughs> they're going to try to get that dude to come to Spokane because they just want really, really good basketball players. So it makes sense that Tyrese Hunter may not be a perfect fit, but he's really talented. And if he really wanted to come to Gonzaga, they would figure out a way to get him onto this roster with, Without a doubt, Connor. We're going to come back in the third segment. We're going to take. We're going to move a little bit away from the transfer portal. We're going to talk about the bracket buster proposal that came out a couple, like about a week ago or so. We're going to talk about what it would mean for the Zags. Before we do that, though, I want to tell you all about today's sponsor, Bet Online. The 2022 NCAA tournament is in the books with a win secured by Bill Self and the Jayhawks of Kansas. 
While the Zags unfortunately fell short of the game's pinnacle week, that does not mean fans cannot remain in on the action. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all of the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zag, still here chatting with Connor Hope of Heat Check College Basketball. Connor, I do want to talk about the report from WAC Commissioner. So Brian Thornton, the WAC Commissioner, proposed this bracket buster style in-season tournament. Uh, We talked about it on an episode last week. For those of you who missed out, there's a great article by Matt Norlander of CBS Sports that kind of breaks the whole thing down. Basically, multiple leagues would pause their conference slate in, I think it was the second week of February, somewhere in there. Uh, And there would kind of be this round robin style two game tournament where each team would be pitted against other teams that have similar rankings, like using, I think, Ken Palm and various other sources like that. So that each of these teams would pick up a, a, a high quality opponent, uh, at least for Gonzaga, it would be a high, a high quality opponent. Uh, 22 conferences showed interest in this. We know the Power Six conferences were not among them. I think it's safe to assume that the WCC was among them, although I don't know for sure. Uh, I'm curious, Connor, your thoughts just in general about this proposal. It's kind of a, a, one of the things that a lot of people have been clamoring for something like this for a very long time. Certainly, it would seems like it would make some sense for Gonzaga. I'm curious your thoughts more generally about this and what it would just mean for the sport. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic idea. And when it comes to Gonzaga, mm-hmm. it would do it would be do two things. It yeah. would replace BYU on their yeah. schedule, yep. which which is something that they need to do because yeah. as for as bad as BYU was or as disappointing, I guess they weren't bad in the grand no. scheme of things, but as disappointing as BYU was this year, they are still consistently two of Gonzaga's probably 13 to 15 top 100 games every mm-hmm. year yep. and, and not having those on your schedule anymore after they, you know, move, leave for the big 12 mm-hmm. is going to give Gonzaga's resume a hit. Yep. Um, and they can certainly fill those that void in the off season or try mm-hmm. to, or not off season, I guess the non-conference right. season um, and, or at least try to, but what we've seen is that, you know, they, they've added an incredible, a cr- incredible amount of high caliber opponents in their non-conference, but it's still about 50-50. Yeah. So if you were to look at those two now open games on their schedule, mm-hmm. it'd probably be one power conference team and one, you know, mid-major team mm-hmm. somewhere in the Pacific Northwest or Southwest um, mm-hmm. that they would, it would be a buy game that they would pay, pay yeah. to, to play them uh, in McCarthy. I think what this does is it gives them that BYU caliber opponent mm-hmm. and probably an upgrade because because they would be playing the, you know, if the American joins, they would be playing the top of the American. Or if Ma- the Mountain West joins, they'd be playing the San Diego States and the Colorado States. Um, mm-hmm. Or if the Missouri Valley joins, they'd be playing the top of the Missouri Valley. So there are quite a few of those types of programs that, 
if Gonzaga were to add two of them to their schedule, they almost improve their schedule over what they would have had with BYU on a year to year basis, um, which I think is huge on the flip side. You know, it could hurt some teams because now you're taking a, a, a Pepperdine, for example, who is at the bottom of the league this year, mm-hmm. they lose those BYU games and now they're playing two probably bottom 50, bottom mm-hmm. 100 teams in the country. Um, games that you don't really can't really afford to lose, especially late in the season. So, um, you know, it's, there's a lot of logistics that need to be, need to be had, but I think especially for Gonzaga, this is something that they should push the WCC to look into as we wait for, you know, any of those rumored talks with other conferences for a potential scheduling agreement Mm -hmm. with Gonzaga uh, to progress. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's no guarantee that the WCC will still have Gonzaga in it in a couple of years. Uh, certainly there's conversation about them trying to, to change that up a little bit, but assuming it does happen, you got to think that this is a slam dunk for the WCC at large. Gonzaga is, it's not going to hurt them from a tournament perspective and the WCC, you know, the biggest thing for them is making sure Gonzaga is still making the tournament and still going far in the tournament. It's not going to hurt that. It's going to get them this opportunity to play, you know, Houston or Memphis or San Diego state, uh, in the middle of February, which is great for them. St. Mary's is going to get a similar boost. You know, they're going to play comparable teams to all of those teams as well. Uh, again, without BYU, after that, it kind of gets a little murky. I'll be super fascinated to see games like, you know, San Francisco playing the third or fourth best team in the American. Like, I think that's going to be interesting. It doesn't probably doesn't move the needle all that much uh, in the tournament perspective, at least uh, probably not going forward. Obviously, last year was a bit of an anomaly with USF being as good as they were. But I think my big curiosity, we, it's probably good for Gonzaga. There's really limited, uh, it's, there's there's very limited reason it wouldn't be good for Gonzaga, even if they lose those games, which isn't going to, wouldn't be great, but it's not going to hurt them too much. But I'm curious your thoughts on what it does for mid-major programs just in general, because we're expecting it's going to be most, if not all, mid-major conferences that are participating in this. So these really good teams are going to, play each other which helps them get better but it also every game has a loser so some of these teams are going to lose some of these big games and you know you look at a team like san francisco last year that snuck into the tournament if this had happened and they had played you know they, they lost to loyola chicago in the non-conference but what if they lost to them again in february what if they played murray state for example and lost to them in february like that might cause them to not make the ncaa tournament so I'm curious if you think it's, I mean, obviously if every team's a mid-major and every team wins or loses, it's hard to know exactly how helpful it is, but I'm curious if you think it's going to get more teams in the, in the big dance from the mid-major conferences, or if it's going to kind of not make a big difference. I don't know if it's going to make a big difference in terms of bids. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's going to really just play a role on those bubble teams. Yeah. And um, my assumption is, is that, you know, the teams that are playing each other at the top are going to be the teams that are clearly in the tournament, regardless of whether they win or lose that game. The teams that are out of the tournament can't really boost themselves in it's those bubble teams. And and I think what it does is it gives a greater ability to solidify one of those bubble teams in the tournament. Mm -hmm. than it does really kind of messing with how many teams are going to be in. It just might, you know, instead of a team being in the first four, it might give them the opportunity to get that buy into the first round. Um, And then outside of that, I think there's, there's also the, uh, the argument that it's good for TV and TV revenue, right? Mm -hmm. Gonzaga, you know, they, they uh, sure they get televised on ESPN for the game against St. Mary's and, mm-hmm. and BYU, but could you imagine how much 
you know, and at what time in the evening a Gonzaga versus San Diego State game would get. Yeah. Like that wouldn't be an 830 game that nobody watches. That would be like a five o'clock game Mm -hmm. on an ESPN two or something that people would watch because it's two of the top mid majors that are perceived as such. And so it's not perceived as, oh, Gonzaga is just going to beat St. Mary's. It's right. You know, they're playing the top team in the Mountain West or the top team in the in the American. And so Mm -hmm. it, it kind of gives them, I think, a greater sense greater source of revenue and a greater exposure to the casual fan, especially late in the season when everything is about, you know, those major conference mm-hmm. championship uh, races. So the last point I want to ask you about for Gonzaga, obviously the prevailing conversation about the Zags for literally 20 years at this point, uh, it's only gotten stronger in recent years is the conference schedule that they play that you know the teams in the WCC how it prepares them for March obviously this team has marched to the sweet 16 for the better part of a decade so uh, a lot of those people who say oh, it doesn't help them in March are just wrong but but how much of a benefit do you think it is if Gonzaga like imagine if this last year's Gonzaga team got to play Houston on Valentine's Day last year I have a hard time not thinking that that would help them when they when it came around to March Madness. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but it seems to me that even if they won that game, if they lost that game, regardless, I feel like that kind of game helps them be a little bit more prepared in March. Is that do you, do you feel the same? It's hard to tell. Mm-hmm. I, I I definitely agree that playing those types of games will help for early round close games. Mm-hmm. Right? You know. Winning the, if you're not a one or one, two, three, or even four seed, like mm-hmm. you're going to be in a game that's probably pretty close yep. and playing those tougher games later, especially in those first, that first round or first weekend mm-hmm. definitely helps with you being able to push through by the time you get to the elite eight, the final four, the, the national championship game, like mm-hmm. your schedule before the tournament doesn't really matter. You know, you, people point out, all they want to Gonzaga schedule when they were undefeated heading into that game against uh, Baylor in the mm-hmm. national championship game, but they had played Creighton. They had played Oklahoma. They had played mm-hmm. USC. They had played U- UCLA. Like they had played four games in a row against mm-hmm. top 25, top 30 teams in the country. Mm-hmm. At that point, they were there. Yeah. You know, Baylor was just a really good team that punched yeah. them in the mouth for 10 minutes, mm-hmm. was 30 minutes of competitive basketball the rest of the way, but they just yeah. couldn't overcome the hill that Baylor had put them in. Mm-hmm. But I don't think Gonzaga's game against Pacific in February or January affected their ability to play Baylor or their readiness to play Baylor when they had played four other high quality teams leading into the, that game. So um, yeah, I think if you're looking, if you're expecting Gonzaga to maybe take a step back this year and they probably will, Mm -hmm. Um, or you're expecting a Gonzaga team in, in the not so distant future to be a five, six, seven, eight seed. Right. I think that's where it really starts to make that difference. You know, we've Mm -hmm. played one of these top mid majors that are also in that kind of caliber or that uh, range. But when you're the number one team in the country and then you play four teams in a row or three teams in a row, getting to an elite eight, um, to, to make it, you know, to, to, sharpen your mm-hmm. skills and sharpen your readiness for those games at that point you know it, i have a hard time believing that your schedule heading into march had anything to do with you losing a game against at that point 
a team that also made it to the Elite Eight Final Four or National yeah. Championship game. Absolutely, Connor. That was a perfect note to end on. That was fantastic. Uh, before I let you go, where can people who are interested in reading your work or following you on Twitter, where can they go in order to get that? So you can follow me on Twitter at HoopsHopesCBB. Um, I am a co-host for the Hope and Ralph podcast. We've gone monthly now that we're in the off season, mm -hmm. but during the season or in even leading up to the season, uh, we go weekly um, mm -hmm. on Spotify, Apple podcasts, pretty much every podcast platform. And then I'm also, um, I'm right for heat check CBB. I am working on a piece right now, funnily enough, that talks about the last four teams in the national championship game and how each of them approached the transfer portal, you know, like I said, very surgically and targeted mm -hmm. as opposed to some other teams that we've seen this off season and last off season that, kind of cast a wide net, get a bunch of these top recruits, hype mm. them up. But because they weren't surgical about it, it doesn't tend to work out in the end. So um, look for that piece. That piece will probably come out towards the end of the week. Very excited about that. We'll definitely retweet it because that sounds like an interesting topic. Connor, thank you again for coming on the show. That is going to do it for us today. Thanks again for listening. One more season in review episode coming later this week. We also have another guest episode and of course a look at the baseball team ahead of their big, big, big weekend against Santa Clara this week right here on the Locked on Zags podcast available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube as well. All right. Thank you all for listening and go Zags.